Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about the FIFA rankings, how they work, and if they are a true reflection. Belgium are currently the number one team in the world. Senegal are top in Africa, while Algeria, who beat Senegal in the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations final, are ranked fourth. Also, we find out more about the Nigerian Michael Emanalo, who's set to become the new director of football at Newcastle United. Emanalo is a former Chelsea technical director. This will be his biggest job so far. And it's only November, and already five English Premier League managers have been sacked. Why have there been so many sackings this season? Well, I think one reason is that last year COVID meant that so many clubs were playing behind closed doors and losing a lot of money. That's coming up later, but let's start off with the 2022 FIFA World Cup qualifiers for Africa, with match day five and six in the group stage on up to next Tuesday. This will then bring the group stage to an end. We'll then know the ten teams through to the final playoff round. Well, Senegal and Morocco had already made it with two games to spare going into these matches, and joining them at Mali on Thursday with a three-nil win away to Rwanda. Egypt away to Angola on Friday with a win taking them through. On Saturday, Nigeria playing away to Liberia. The Super Eagles two points ahead of Cape Verde. They play at home to the Central African Republic. It could well come down to a winner-takes-all clash on Tuesday. In Group D, Ivory Coast lead Cameroon by a point. Cameroon away to Malawi. Ivory Coast at home to Mozambique, and then that one may also come down to a winner takes all, with Cameroon hosting Ivory Coast in Douala next Tuesday. We'll analyse the games on the show next week. And the inaugural edition of the CAF Women's Champions League is ongoing in Cairo, in Egypt. The group stage ending on Friday. Semi-finals on next Tuesday. And in quite a surprise, in Group A, Wadi Degla of the host nation are out. They lost 3-0 to Malabo Kings of Equatorial Guinea in their second game, and then drew 2-2 with Hazakas Ladies of Ghana on Thursday.、Uh, they led twice in the game, did Wadi Degla, with Hazakas Ladies coming back twice to equalise. Uh, Malabo Kings drew 1-1 with AS Mande of Mali, so Hazakas topped the group with seven points.、Uh, then Malabo Kings second on four. Wadi Degla also with four points, but an inferior goal difference, so they go out. And Group B concluding on Friday with South Africa's Mamelodi Sundowns ladies looking likely to take a place in the semi-finals. And also in Group B, ASFAR of Morocco lost their second game to Sundowns Queens,、uh, finding things a bit tough there.、Uh, but Morocco is a country that's been very serious about women's football, launching a huge program last year to develop the women's game. Now, on the show last August, I spoke to Jalal Bonwar, our correspondent in Morocco, who told us about、uh, the size of this women's football development project in Morocco. The agreement of Uh, objectives between the football federation and the national technical directorate has just been signed, and it aims at creating a professional football championship for both divisions,、uh, in addition to launching a national championship for under 17, and this is very important.、Uh, also, creating other regional 
youth categories championship across Morocco. So let me tell you that this project aims at increasing mainly the number of players and uh, providing them with professional contracts to ensure uh, their financial stability. So uh, the target is to get around 90,000 women playing the game by 2024 and to train uh, around 10,000 women to coach at women's clubs. So uh, more focus will be on the two-tire professional championships in which players will have their pro contract, professional contract, so they will be paid every month. And, of course, the Football Federation will uh, financially support the club. So this is a big project here in Morocco, and uh, the government also wants to uh, promote uh, women's football and the federation in collaboration with with the uh, the national technical directorate and also and also the the national women's league all of them want to invest in women's football even in remote areas across all morocco well that sounds absolutely huge uh, jalal what did you have up to this point in terms of women's football yeah, the situation was not that good, mainly in terms of female players don't find themselves as they are having a career in football. I mean, so this uh, this project uh, aims mainly at providing them with a professional contract. We have like the uh, a top uh, championship, I mean the first division cha- championship with 12 clubs. Maybe we have one club that is dominating all the years, winning all the titles, which is Farabat, Farabat. But I think, uh, according to this project, Morocco wants to to have uh, more clubs competing with Farabat. So from our archive on Planet Sport Football Africa, I was talking there to Jalal Banwa, our correspondent in Morocco. That was from August of last year on the huge women's football development program that was started there, aligned with CAF's women's football strategy that was launched last year. Now, one African football story of particular note this week, the Nigerian Michael Emanalo is set to become the new director of football at Newcastle United in the English Premier League. This after Eddie Howe signed a two-and-a-half-year contract as Newcastle manager. Uh, On paper, the Magpies are the richest club in the world. Uh, Now, Emanalo is a former Chelsea technical director. He played 14 times for the Super Eagles, and he doesn't hold any position in Nigerian football. A significant appointment to Newcastle, Ida. Absolutely. A significant appointment at Newcastle and for African football as well. And it's not like Emanalo isn't used to these high profile positions. I mean, he was technical director at Chelsea, as you've said. He was briefly the sporting director at AS Monaco as well. But this one, Steve, this is really, really huge. And I would like to look at the 56-year-old's career and what he's done over the years to position himself, you know, for this big one. And Steve, more importantly, at least to me, position himself as an African in a field where few, let's be frank, if any, have flourished. I mean, we're talking 30-odd years of the English Premier League and only Emanalo and Les Ferdinand, albeit very briefly, have managed to break that mold. Now, Emanalo is an international relations and diplomacy graduate. He was director of player development that was at a soccer academy in the States back in 2006. So we're talking about 15 years ago. 
That was before joining the coaching staff at Chelsea and, of course, rising up through the ranks. Now, at Chelsea is where it got really special, Steve, because he is credited with completely restructuring the club and on all fronts as well. We're talking from academy to scouting to women's football. And actually, speaking of the academy, people are just now seeing the fruits of Emanalo's labor, you know, with the likes of Reese James, the likes of Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Mason Mount, you know, who all followed that pathway all the way to the first team. I mean, it really is visionary stuff, if you think about it. And Steve, the now infamous Chelsea loan system, well, that was also Eminalo's brainchild. And of course, what is most visible, you know, the men's team. He oversaw the transfer of players like Eden Hazard, Lukaku, N'Golo Kante, and even the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and Mo Salah, who would later on come to be absolute successes, albeit elsewhere. And uh, during Emanalo's time with the club, well, he worked with 10 managers at Stamford Bridge, by the way. But during his time with the club, Chelsea won the Premier League title three times, the FA Cup, the League Cup, the Europa League and the Champions League. I mean, so good was he, Steve. So seriously did Roman Abramovich take him that when Emanalo offered to resign with Jose Mourinho's return, well, Abramovich would hear nothing of it, you know, and the Nigerian actually ended up working several more years with him. So ultimately, it's this, Steve, it's this know-how that Newcastle want to tap into, and especially now as they begin their own revolution. And it was earlier reported that Mark Overmars was also tipped for the job, but Emanalo is definitely the front runner. And it's said that the 56-year-old has already traveled to Saudi Arabia, did that last week, met up with the new Magpies owners to discuss the move. So let's wait on the announcement and hopefully soon. Financial fair play regulations, Steve, permitted Newcastle around $190 million. That will be for the transfer window coming up. So who knows? Between Eddie Howe and Michael Emanalo, they really could become quite the formidable force in January. Yeah, indeed. It's a really big appointment. This very exciting for African football that the Nigerian Michael Emanalo is set to become the new director of football at Newcastle United. Uh, maybe one day to take a position in Nigerian football or African football, perhaps. Right next here on Planet Sport Football Africa to a topic that puzzles and confuses many football fans around the world. Uh, that's the FIFA rankings. Now, every month, FIFA gives a list of the latest world rankings, and Belgium are currently the number one team in the world, even though they went out in the quarterfinals of Euro 2020, uh, while the tournament winners Italy are fourth and World Cup holders France are third in the world, with Brazil second. Now, Senegal are top in Africa and 20th in the world. Next on the continent are Tunisia and Morocco, while Algeria are fourth, even though they are the Africa Cup of Nations holders, and they beat Senegal in the final two years ago. Uh, so, Stuart, the FIFA rankings are complex, and results over the past four years are taken into account and are weighted. Uh, can you help us to understand a bit more? Well, yes, Steve, the FIFA World Rankings is a method of ranking nations which is used to put the 211 member associations in order. And as you say, it's updated every month. 
First introduced in 1992, it's been changed a bit since that. And um, interestingly, in 25 years, only eight teams have ever been the top-ranked team. That's Brazil, Germany, Argentina, Italy, France, Spain, Netherlands and Belgium. It's based on points for every game which is played by a national team over the course of the four years, with, as you say, extra waiting over the past 12 months, and also according to the importance of the game, like a competitive game gets more points than a friendly. I have to say I find the rankings marginally interesting but seriously flawed. As you say, Belgium, top of the rankings for the last two years, despite not justifying the ranking at either the 2018 World Cup or the 2020 European Championships, but yet Belgium stay top. Now, if you compare tennis, the two top players in tennis are Novik Djokovic and Daniel Medvedev. But it's relatively simple to work out who the best tennis player in the world is because they all play in the same tournaments, including the four important Grand Slam tournaments every year, and they play head-to-head against each other. Now, look at the middle of the FIFA rankings, and you've got Germany in 12th, USA 13th, Uruguay 15th, Senegal 20th, and Iran 22. But the problem is, unlike the tennis players, none of those countries play against each other in a competitive match, other than the World Cup every four years, and they may not even meet each other there. So, while Djokovic and Medvedev might even play each other several times during the year, if Germany ever plays USA or Senegal, it would be a friendly. And of course, teams take friendlies quite differently. I mean, some put out their strongest team, others experiment. Sometimes players are not released for friendlies. So it's really potluck whether you're playing the strongest German team or quite a weak one. I mean, you might expect the rankings, therefore, to be more accurate across one continent rather than across several continents. But then, as we're saying, how do you get the view that Italy and France, who've won the European Championships and the World Cup, should be ranked below Belgium? I think it's interesting, but frankly, for me, not very credible. Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, there are many fans who don't trust the rankings and uh, many fans feel that their team should be higher on the rankings than their actual position. Uh, do you feel that they give a, a fair picture, Ida? Well, Steve, I'm going to plead the fifth on this one, but <laughs> credit to Stuart there for taking us through the ropes because it's all quite confusing stuff, to be honest. But let's look at specific examples. So Algeria, unbeaten in what, 30 matches? And they're 31st in the world. Now, let's not forget that they're champions of Africa, yet... Portugal, who massively underwhelmed at the Euro 2020 and have lost several times in recent high-profile games, are eighth. And Steve, some of the changes that FIFA implemented is that a loss on the pitch also comes with loss of points in the rankings. Let's look at Belgium, for example. Underachievers, perennial underachievers at that, if I may be candid did not even get to the Euro 2020 final, but somehow 
have been top of the world for quite some time now. Now, not denying that they're not massively talented, Steve, but still. But Steve, all in all, these things do matter. For example, being from a country that's in the top 50 in the world does make it easier for a player who wants to get signed by an English Premier League club. So what can we say? Can't live with them, can't live without them. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ida. And this week on social media, asking for your thoughts on this, are the FIFA rankings fair? Uh, Belgium currently ranked number one in the world on the FIFA rankings, Senegal top in Africa. The rankings do use a complex formula, but do you think that they are fair? Are they a true reflection? And is the ranking for your national team an accurate picture of how good they are? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Are the FIFA rankings fair? What do you think about them? Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League, five managers fired already. But does changing your manager improve results? Interesting analysis on this coming from Stuart. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Right to social media now. Last week we asked, are you interested in the CAF Women's Champions League? Underway in Egypt, it's the inaugural edition of the competition. Eight teams taking part after going through regional qualifiers. So we asked, how interested are you in the tournament? And what do you think it can achieve for women's football in Africa? Well, Noble Botamani in Malawi says, yes, I'm interested. In this competition, our women will be exposed to big teams and good players will be picked to play professional football for big teams elsewhere, says Noble. Yes, certainly they are showcasing their skills there in Cairo. Uh, Balong Baji in the Gambia says, my love for women's football will never fade away. Women's football can improve in Africa. There are surprising skills to come, and uh, this can help the game to rise another level. And uh, players can uh, benefit financially from this, and also the fans too, says Bolong. And Mohamed Bar, also in the Gambia, says, Yes, I'm interested in the Women's Champions League. It's long overdue. Uh, The competition will help to develop and expose our female players so that they can play for female clubs in Europe like Lyon, PSG, Arsenal, Barcelona, and the Chelsea female teams. I'm really enjoying the tournament, uh, says Mohamed. It's a welcome development for female football in Africa. Kudos to Patrice Motsepe, the CAF president for the foresight. And a Sindilate Jarul in South Africa says, yes, I'm following it. I think Group A was a tough group, says Sindile. Yeah, what with uh, the host Wadi Degler failing to make it through to the semi-finals. Uh, thanks for those thoughts there. And this week again, we're asking, are the FIFA rankings fair? And what do you make of them? And is the ranking for your national team an accurate reflection? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. 
Well, now to the English Premier League. Still with us, our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. And uh, it's only November and already five English Premier League managers have been sacked. Uh, since we spoke last week, Norwich have parted ways with Daniel Farker and Aston Villa with Dean Smith. And at this time last year, Stuart, none had been fired. Yes, Steve. And I mean, that technically a quarter of the clubs who have changed managers. It started with Watford's Zisco Munez. Uh, he was sacked when the Hornets were 14th, seven games into the season, replaced by Claudio Ranieri. Uh, it was inevitable that the new owners of Newcastle United were going to uh, get rid of uh, Steve Bruce when they came in and Eddie Howe has now been appointed. Tottenham dismissed Nuno after four months in post after a run of five defeats and Antonio Conte has now been appointed. Norwich's Daniel Farker was sacked ironically hours after his club's first win of the season. He did the interviews after the season and then was told he'd been fired. And as you say, Dean Smith dismissed two days after the club's fifth successive defeat and Stephen Gerrard is replacing him. In a way, you could argue that the circumstances of each of these are different. I mean, Watford we can dismiss because they're a club that changes their manager for fun. The owners of Newcastle were really always going to bring in their own manager. Nuno at Tottenham had a bad start because he was the third choice. And when Antonio Conte became available, they didn't want to miss him. Daniel Farca I have an awful lot of sympathy for because he twice got Norwich promoted, relegated in between, and they're currently facing relegation. But it's hard not to conclude that the players that Farca has at his disposal are simply not good enough. The second of Dean Smith came as a complete surprise because in four years, Smith got the team promoted from the championship, has consolidated them as a Premier League club, even took them to a League Cup final. But I understand that when he lost five Premier League games in a row, that just triggered the concern of the board. Two other factors may be that he has spent $400 million on players in four years, but has not improved the team enough to get them out of the bottom half of the league table. And also you could say that Villa's defence has not looked as well organised since Smith's assistant, John Terry, left in the summer. As you say, Steve, at this stage last season, no manager had been fired. And you have to go back to 2005 to find the last time five managers had gone by the middle of November. But does changing the manager work? I've been looking at the last 11 occasions in the last two seasons when a manager was replaced. On three occasions, the new manager significantly improved the team. On four occasions, the club finished in exactly the same position as when the previous manager had been sacked. On three occasions, a new manager was able to finish perhaps one place higher than his predecessor, and one manager took the team down. Now, the evidence therefore suggests that changing a manager mid-season is unlikely to have a great effect. And just as an aside, remember Ralph Hasenhüttl twice seeing his Southampton team losing 9-0, but the club kept faith with him, and he's done well since that. Why have there been so many sackings this season? Well, I think one reason is that last year, COVID meant that so many clubs were playing behind closed doors and losing a lot of money. And of course, when you fire a manager who's at 
two or three years left on his contract, it costs you a lot of money because you have to pay up the contract. I mean, Steve Bruce was reportedly receiving in the region of $10 million when he left Newcastle. And then there's also what we might call fan power. Ten years ago, fans were pretty distant from their club owners. But now, with social media, it's much easier for fans to make their views known and to call for a manager to be replaced. And also, having fans back in the stadium means that owners are very much aware of any fan discontent. But the bottom line is money. Top clubs feel that they must qualify for the Champions League. And all Premier League clubs fear losing their place in the Premier League. And don't forget as well as that, there's prize money allocated according to where you finish in the league table. So that fear of relegation or losing prize money or Champions League status leads club managers to press the panic button. And I think it's no coincidence that Farquhar and Smith were fired at the beginning of the international break, giving the club time to find a new manager before the next league fixture. But Steve, it's not just in England. With Barcelona dropping to its place in the league table and losing two of their Champions League fixtures, Ronald Koeman has been fired and replaced by Xavi. Xavi is, of course, a club legend, having played 500 times for the great Barcelona team. But apart from three years as a player manager in Qatar, he has no managerial experience, so could be a risky appointment. And then there's our old friend Jose Mourinho. His Roma team are just sixth in the league table, having lost five of their first 12 games. Not the start that Roma were hoping for. Yeah, really interesting. Such a lot of emotion there and um, five managers fired already this season. Uh, OK, let's focus on the action on the pitch then. And uh, West Ham, 3-2 winners over Liverpool last weekend uh, to move into third. Very exciting game. Uh, are the Hammers a real threat for a top four finish, Stuart? Well, I'm not sure that West Ham can win the league, but I think they're serious contenders for Champions League qualification. They're a team of hard-working professionals willing to take responsibility, very much reflecting the character of the manager David Moyes. And one interesting thing is that in the last two years, West Ham have scored 32 goals from set pieces, more than any other league club. I bet that's no coincidence, but a reward for the hard work in the training pitch that David Moyes puts them through. Incidentally, Liverpool's defeat at West Ham brought to an end a 25-match unbeaten run. Yeah, and uh, Manchester City, a very comfortable 2-0 win over Manchester United in the derby. Losing to Manchester City is no disgrace, but the manner of Manchester United's defeat must have alarmed the club owners. City completely dominated the game and dominated possession to the extent that Manchester United only had four touches of the ball in the City penalty area. It was strange at the bottom as well, with Norwich winning and Burnley and Newcastle drawing. This was the first time since 2015 that the Premier League's bottom three clubs had all avoided defeat on the same day. But all of them stay in the relegation places, with Watford just above them. And Brentford and Aston Villa, who were both in the top half of the table last month, but four and five straight defeats have seen them drop close to danger of relegation as well. But what about Arsenal going in the opposite direction? Remember, after three games, Arsenal had no points and were bottom of the table. Now, after 11, they're fifth in the league table. Last weekend, Steve, we saw VAR overturn nine decisions 
in 10 Premier League games on video evidence. That's the most since VAR was introduced. And Steve, uh, Rafinha is a, is a good one to have in your fantasy team. He scored five goals this season for Leeds and four of them were the first goal of the game. He scored the opening goal more times than any other player this season. But then poor old Robert Sanchez, the Brighton goalkeeper, set two unwelcome records at the weekend. First of all being the first goalkeeper sent off in the Premier League on video evidence. And also at 91 minutes 24 seconds, it's thought that he was the latest ever goalkeeper to be sent off. Isn't it funny how some managers have a bogey team? When Watford lost to Arsenal, it was the twelfth time that Claudio Ranieri had managed a team against Arsenal, and he's yet to win. Eddie Howe replacing Steve Bruce is the first time one English manager has replaced another in the Premier League for five years. And one other thing that interested me is that there are currently 15 managers in the Premier League or EFL who've never played football at the top level compared to only five 30 years ago. It's interesting how playing the game has become less important in terms of a manager's qualifications. Yes, uh, interesting indeed. Uh, thanks so much for that, Stuart. So no English Premier League this weekend as the international action continues. And that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.